this week on Hope for the Broken. This is our mission that we are to continue, that the church has held on to for 2,000 years, and you and I must carry the torch for the time that we are here. And I want you to notice something. Jesus does not say, go and make Christians, nor does he say, go and make converts. But the key word that Jesus chooses to use is to make disciples. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we begin a new sermon series called Back to the Basics. In this series, we will walk through foundational and practical teachings given to the church by God. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part one titled, What is Discipleship? Today, we are beginning a new series of sermons that will go throughout the summer entitled Back to the Basics. We're going to walk through foundational observances foundational practices that are given to Jesus's church. They are founded in the scriptures and modeled for us by the New Testament church. And today we're going to answer the question, what is a disciple? So I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to be in verses 24 through 27 this morning as we attempt and allow Jesus to answer the question, what is a disciple. Now, many of you know that I have the privilege of coaching uh, a local homeschool group of young men, uh, coaching varsity high school baseball, and we wrapped up our season uh, a few weeks ago, uh, and we ended up 11 and 11. And I know that's not a winning record, but it's 500, right? And so it's not the boy's fault, it's their coach, I promise you, it's the coach's fault. Um, But at one point in the season, we were in this, this slump, And it seemed like uh, we were making error after error after error after error uh, in in games. And so what I decided to do is during practice that we were going to rehearse the errors that we made and try to correct those errors. One thing I found is this, is you can never provide every single scenario. You can never practice every single scenario that is going to play out in a baseball game. Uh, and so what happens is, is you wind up uh, the making the error, you go and you practice it only to come into a different situation to make yet another error. And so uh, at a point during the middle of the season, I decided, you know what, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to get back to the fundamentals of baseball. And so we spent our practices fielding ground balls. We worked on footwork for our outfielders and positioning as you catch the ball. We worked on hitting off of a tee instead of just hitting off of a live batting practices or even a machine. We went back to the very fundamentals of baseball. And what happened is that our guys grew more, comf- uh, more comfortable in their ability to field a baseball regardless of the situation and the scenario that they found themselves in. Uh, Our outfielders were tracking the ball a lot better, and our pitchers began to be more confident in their teammates and began to throw the ball with a lot more confidence. And we got on a win streak where we brought it back to 
even. And that was just my goal. And, and as that translated, as, I, as I'm coaching and I'm watching this play out, I'm also realizing that I'm pastor by day, coach by night. And, and I'm beginning to think and wonder, how does that translate to the church life? You know, I think sometimes we allow uh, ourselves to overcomplicate things. We allow ourselves to lose track of the very fundamentals of our faith. And sometimes we even begin asking questions. Why is it that we do what it is that we do in church? And so I thought that it would be very informative, very good for us to go back to the fundamentals of what we are to be doing as a church, what God has called his people to be and to do. And so that's the purpose of this series. This summer, we're going to talk about what it means to pray and fast what it means to live on mission, what God has called us to. We're going to talk about the purpose of the Lord's Supper. We're going to talk about why we do baptism the way that we do baptism. There's a biblical-rooted reason for that. What is worship? So forth and so on. And so this summer, we're going to get back to the basics of our faith. And it's my prayer that we are able to refocus, recenter, and be the church that God has called us to be, that the New Testament models for us to be. Because this is the thing that I have found to be the case. The New Testament church was not only relevant in the first century, it's been relevant all the way for the last 2,000 years. And, and my diagnosis of our culture that we live in, whenever I study and I stack that up against the first century world, I see a lot of similarities in our culture and in the first century world. And if the first century church could have a profound impact in the face of extreme immorality, in the face of, of religious pluralism, in the face of all of these obstacles, if the, if the early church could spread like wildfire in the midst of that, then maybe we need to get back to what the New Testament was doing and see God do a work in and through our churches here and now in the 21st century. And so I'm excited about this series. Today, the question is, what is discipleship? What does it mean to be a disciple? After Jesus was crucified and after he was resurrected, scripture tells us that he spent 40 days among his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And those 40 days were packed full of instructions that God, through Jesus, gave instructions to what would be the apostles to then launch his church, the bride of Christ. And he charged them with what to do next. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit descended upon the first church. The church was born in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. And the disciples turned apostles, began executing Jesus' charge, and the rest as we know it is history. Now, there are two key passages that let us in on these final instructions that Jesus gave his disciples before he ascended into heaven. They are the marching orders of the church. Always have been and always will be until Jesus returns. Those two passages of Scripture, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, that we know as the Great Commission, and then Acts chapter 1, verse 8, are the key passages by which God gives instructions for his church. He, Jesus is laying out the fundamentals of his church. So I want to read that as we center in on what is the foundation level, the basic level of what we are to be and do as church. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The foundational call of the Lord on his bride, the church. And that foundational call is to make disciples everywhere. This is our mission. This is the mission that Jesus has given you and me that we are to continue, that the church has held on to for 2,000 years, and you and I must carry the torch for the time that we are here. This is what we must do. And I want you to notice something. Jesus does not say, go and make Christians. Nor does he say, go and make converts. Now certainly that is a part of making disciples, but the key word that Jesus chooses to use is to make disciples. Okay, I see that, but what does that word mean? Because I think that we've, we've lost touch of that word. You know, it's become a, a common word that we use, and maybe we've lost the definition of what it means to be a disciple. And Jesus will answer what it means to be a disciple in our text of study in Matthew chapter 16 as he talks about five aspects to discipleship. Let's read now our verse of study, our passage of study, Matthew chapter 16. And I want to read all three verses, all four verses of this and uh, to see what it means to be a disciple. And then I want to go back and pick it apart and talk about these five aspects to being a disciple. Verse 24, Matthew chapter 16. It says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. The first aspect to being a disciple is the word I want to give you, repetition. Repetition. Verse 24 says that this word, Jesus turned and he directed these four verses at his disciples. It says that Jesus told his disciples. What do you mean by repetition? Well, Jesus does not differentiate between a Christian and a disciple. For Jesus, they are the exact same thing. It is a repetition of words. To say that I am a Christian is to say that I am a disciple of Jesus. To say that I am a disciple means that I am a Christian and have aligned my life to Christ. And this is important because I think we have a tendency to separate the two. Let me give you an example. We will say, I am a Christian. But then we will have a group of Christians that will say, I am studying a particular passage of Scripture, or I am studying with a particular person, or I am studying with a particular group of people, and therefore I am engaged in discipleship. It's almost like we have this, I can be a Christian 
apart from participating in discipleship, or I can be a Christian that is on a higher level of Christianity by being a disciple. And we have distinguished the two. We have distinguished what it means to be a disciple versus what it means to be a Christian. But make no mistake, Jesus does not do that. He does not make that distinction. For Jesus, it is a repetition of words. A Christian must be a disciple, and therefore a disciple is a Christian. In fact, did you know the word Christian doesn't appear until Jesus has long ascended into heaven? It, it wasn't even a word. They were, they were disciples that became apostles, leaders of the church, making other disciples. But we read in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, when the word Christian came to be. It says this, and in Antioch, check this out, the disciples were first called Christians. In other words, they're the same thing. To be a disciple is to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. I point this out because it's dangerous for us to separate the two. To somehow say that I'm a Christian, but I am not engaged in discipleship, is an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is, right? Two words that don't make sense that are put together. They're, 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 they're oxymorons. They contradict each other. Remember, Jesus didn't call us to make Christians. He called us to make disciples. To follow Jesus is to be a disciple. Years ago, an author by the name of Kyle Eidelman wrote a book that many of you may have even read. It's the book uh, entitled Not a Fan. How many of you have read that book? Anybody read that book? Okay, it's a very convicting book. If you're looking to have your, your toes stepped on, pick up that book. And in that book, he talks about the difference between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. He points out the fact that we can know a lot about someone by being a fan of someone and not really know them. The example that he gives us is celebrities. There are people that stalk celebrities. They know everything that happens in the life of a particular celebrity, but do they actually know that person? And the answer is no. Of course we do not know them. They would not know us, and we do not have a relationship with them. And so therefore, what Kyle Eidemann suggests is that it is possible to be a fan of Jesus, but not be a follower of him. And what Jesus is calling believers to is to be followers of him, not fans of him. And so that's what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower. And so these 12 men that followed Jesus, called the disciples, understood what Jesus was saying whenever he used the word disciple. To them it meant to follow a rabbi, a teacher, and to listen to that rabbi's message. And then to observe how that rabbi then lives out what it is that he teaches. And then they go and they do likewise. They teach the same things. They say the same things. They do the same things as their rabbi. That's what it means to be a disciple. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is that he is calling us to, to follow him as a disciple of his. So the first aspect of discipleship, we see that Christian and disciple are a repetition of words. There is no distinction. The second aspect of discipleship is rejection. Rejection. Jesus goes on to say in verse 24, he says, Then Jesus told his disciples, 
if anyone would come after me, you, you remember that, that phrase, by the way, would have brought the disciples back to the time when Jesus said, come and follow me. Uh, when Jesus called them to be a disciple. So if anyone would come after me, if anyone desires to be a Christian, if anyone desires to be a disciple, let him deny himself. Let's stop right there. That's rejection. This is where Jesus really begins describing the lifestyle of a disciple. And he says that the foundational attribute of being a disciple is the rejection of self. He uses the word deny. You know that word deny that Jesus uses right there is the same word that is used of Peter when Peter denied Jesus three times before the cross. It means to completely disown. It means to completely separate one from themselves. Jesus is saying that you are to separate yourself from yourself. It's the, it's the picture that is often confusing. How do you do this? Is, is Jesus a proponent of some multiple personality disorder? I mean, how do you separate yourself from yourself? And Jesus here is not talking about your identity, you see. Scripture says that we are all image bearers of God, that we are made in the very likeness of God. God has given us an identity and who he has created us to be. Nor is Jesus suggesting that we are to deny things for ourselves. He is not saying that you need to deny yourself a dessert today at lunch. He is not saying that you need to deny yourself a vacation or you need to deny yourself something you've been saving for. Jesus is not talking about self-asceticism here. He's, he's talking about something different. Now, why is that important? Some of us need to deny dessert today, right? Can I get an amen on that? I need to deny dessert today uh, for lunch. But that's not what Jesus is driving at. And the reason that that's important to distinguish it's because we often equate self-asceticism, the denial of, our, of things for ourselves, with this superhuman Christianity, right? We think, man, if I can fast, or if I spend time praying instead of taking in food, or if I deny myself this thing, I must be super spiritual. God must really appreciate me. And the problem with that is that there is nothing good within us, you see, that, that earns our salvation. And we somehow uh, have tied the denial of things for ourselves to being super spiritual. But that is not what Jesus is getting at. And by the way, next week, we're going to talk about what is prayer and fasting. But, but that's not what Jesus is getting at here. The, the denial of self that Jesus is talking about in this case is the old self, the natural, the sinful the rebellious, the unredeemed self. The New Testament talks about the old self versus the new self in many different passages. That prior to face, placing your faith and trust in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, you walk in your old ways, the old unsaved self. And then we come to 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians tells us that when we are saved, when we come to Jesus, we are what? We are a new creation. He says that the old is gone, and behold, the new has come. 
And so what Jesus is saying that, that if you're going to be a disciple, you must deny himself. He's talking about denial of the old, unredeemed, unregenerate self. And we are born again, given a new self. Another way the Bible illustrates this is when it talks about walking according to the flesh, that's your old self, versus walking according to the spirit. Paul says in the book of Galatians, but I say, do not walk according to the flesh, but rather walk according to the spirit. And then he gives a description of what walking according to the flesh is. And then he gives a description of what is walking by the spirit means. And you see that those two lifestyles are completely opposite. And so when Jesus is saying, deny yourself, deny the old, unredeemed, sinful self. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation, at the point of belief, enables us to no longer walk according to the flesh, but it enables us to deny ourselves and to walk according to the Spirit. Now, does this mean that you will never, ever sin again? No. You and I will battle our sinful, old, unredeemed, fleshly selves until the moment that we are rescued into heaven. We pass from this earth and see Jesus face to face. There are three giant words in the Christian faith that are extremely important. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification means that you are freed from the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Scripture says, for the wages of sin, what we earn because of our sin, the result of our sin is death. But, but through being justified through Jesus' atoning work on the cross, by grace through faith in him, we are saved. We are rescued from that penalty. Justification, being freed from the penalty of sin. Sanctification means that we are being freed from the power of sin. We're freed from the penalty, but we're being freed from the power of sin. Sanctification is something you begin the day you meet Jesus. And you don't complete until the day you see Jesus again face to face. It is the process of becoming more like him. Justification, sanctification, then glorification. Glorification is being freed from the presence of sin. This happens when a believer leaves this earthly tent and resides with Jesus in glory forever where there is no presence of sin sin but being a disciple being engaged in the sanctification process means that i am constantly at war with my old self i don't give in to the fight of my old self easily i seek to deny the old self it's a battle paul said it this way i've been crucified with christ therefore i no longer live but the life I live, I now live in the Spirit of God. To crucify, to put to death the old self. And that's what he's talking about. When we reject or when we deny the old self, we are yielding the right to live our own lives and we're yielding it to live the life Jesus has for us. We are acknowledging that there's nothing good in me for I am a sinner and, I, and I, my ways always lead to destruction but in Jesus there is life and life eternal. So we talk about how being a disciple can be described as a repetition of words, can be described as a rejection of self, and thirdly, 
release. Release. Jesus continued. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and do what? Take up his cross. Now, when Jesus said that little phrase, the 12 disciples had zero confusion as to what he was talking about. When we read it, we think about it differently. We have a tendency to go to the saying, well, it's my cross to bear. Have you ever heard anybody say that? When they talk about a trial or a difficulty or an inconvenience in our lives, we say, well, it's our cross to bear. And, and we, we assign people to that cross to bear. My boss is terrible. It's my cross to bear. Or my mother-in-law is horrific. It's my cross to bear. Not my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is perfect, just in case she's watching. But, uh, but you know, hey, that's... But, but you see what I'm saying. We have relegated the term my cross to bear to some, you know, difficulty in our life. But that's not what it meant when Jesus said it. What it meant when Jesus said it was a willingness to pay any price to follow Jesus. The Roman cross was an instrument of crucifixion. And ultimately, Jesus gave his life in your place and in mine upon a cross. And it is estimated that during the lifetime of Jesus, just during the time frame that Jesus spent on this earth, there were some 30,000 crucifixions performed by the Romans. So for the disciples... When they heard, you must be willing to take up your cross, they knew full well what Jesus was talking about. And we know from church history that most of the apostles died for their faith. They were martyrs. They were killed for their faith. They gave their lives because they followed Jesus. And did you know there are brothers and sisters who have already worshipped this very morning and done so under the threat of their lives. Oh, they know what it means to follow Jesus by picking up their cross and following him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a, a pastor and seminary professor living in Germany in the 1930s, wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he talks about how expensive discipleship truly is. And this is his quote. It says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I, I, I can see what conversation is going to happen at lunch. How was your day at church today? Oh, it was great. My pastor talked about how a call to discipleship is to come and die. How was your day at church? Oh, it was great. Uh, sorry, I'm going to leave you alone, right? But, but th this is something that Jesus invites us to, to examine the cost of what it means to follow after him. Now, please hear me. The suffering and persecution one endures because of their faith varies from person to person, from place to place, and from time to time. We live in a time, and we live in a place, and we live in a country where we are free to follow Jesus. But there may come a day where we are persecuted for following Jesus. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there is a church in Afghanistan that joins us every Sunday at 11 a.m. 
Pastor there goes by the name of Paul, Paul Rashid. If you're ever watching online, you'll see him comment online. And I've had a few Zoom meetings with Pastor Rashid there in Pakistan. It's where he's watching from, he and his small group of believers. He speaks English, broken, but he speaks English. And I asked him, I said, what is life as a Christian like in Pakistan? And he said, oh, we are, we are persecuted for our faith. He said, we, at this point, don't live under the threat of our lives. He says, but once it comes out that you're a Christian, you lose your good-paying job, and you have to sweep the streets. And so the members of his church are street sweepers. Former IT executives... Former nurses, doctors, because they yield to Christ, now are street sweepers. Their willingness to follow King Jesus causes them to sacrifice in their lives. And this is what it means to take up your cross. To have the willingness to pay whatever price is determined for us to pay because we love following Jesus. It's a choice. It's saying, I choose Jesus over my life. Discipleship is costly stuff. And as Bonhoeffer's book's title suggests, discipleship is terribly expensive. And following Jesus is easy to say, but it's tough to carry out in environments like that. But that's the invitation. We've talked about repetition, rejection, and release. The fourth aspect to discipleship is relationship. Relationship. Jesus continued, Matthew 16, 24. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, reject himself, take up his cross, release his life, and follow me. To have a relationship with me. Only after a person has denied himself and has The willingness to take up his cross as he prepared to follow Jesus. Follow means you walk the same roads. A guy by the name of Mark Buchanan wrote a book entitled, Your Church is Too Safe. How is that for a title? Your church is too safe. And it's a book about what it means to follow Jesus. But in the book, he talks about the difference between two terms. He talks about what it means to be a traveler and what it means to be a tourist. He says that the word traveler comes from one who travails, one who labors, one who suffers, a travailer, traveler. See, a traveler immerses themselves in a culture. They attempt to learn the language to the extent that they can. They, They dress to fit in. They eat according to the culture, and they're gone for an extended period of time. That's a traveler. A tourist is different. Tourists visit places briefly. They have no intention of becoming like the culture. They have no intention uh, intention of staying a lengthy amount of time. Instead, they want to sample the culture. They want to buy a souvenir. They want to take a picture. They want to get a t-shirt, and they're gone. The point that he makes is that many of us approach following Jesus like a tourist instead of a traveler. Instead of someone who wants to invest in a relationship with Jesus, we're just a fan. And that the relationship that we have with Jesus fits our terms. 
We determine the depth of our following. But what Jesus is calling us to is to follow him like a traveler, to make a commitment, to be immersed in Jesus, to build a relationship with him, to go where he goes, to do what he does, to say what he says. And you see the difference between a traveler and a tourist. Now remember, I preach to myself up here. Y'all are just in the room. I'm just saying out loud my thoughts from my study this week. And, and it has caused me to want to ask deep questions of myself. And we, we have a tendency, I, I realize I do, to compartmentalize our relationship with Jesus. We say, oh, Jesus, you can have this part of, of my life, but I'm going to hold on to this part of my life. We compartmentalize. We, we come to church. We partake in church programming. We get involved in Bible studies. We check the box. But the question is, do those things make us more like Jesus? That's the question. When you come here and you participate and you open up God's word, it should make you more like Jesus Monday through Saturday. It should make me more like Jesus Monday through Saturday. Following him means everywhere we go, we take him with us. Where we work, where we live, where we play. Jesus is there with us. We give him all areas of our life. So we've talked about the fact that Jesus, is, that Jesus does not differentiate discipleship from being a Christian. They're repetitive words. We are to reject our old sinful self. We are to be willing to release even our lives for turning Christ. And we are to have a relationship with Jesus so that he is a part of everything we do. Finally, the fifth word that Jesus uses to describe discipleship is the word reward all of those things that we talked about one through four are challenging to us but there is a payoff if we are up to the challenge while there is a definite high cost to following jesus oh there is also a great reward look at verses 25 through 27 he says for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. There is always a payoff. We make the choice. You and I either choose our reward now by pursuing the indulgence of the flesh and walk according to the flesh, or we choose our reward later by denying ourselves and following Jesus. You know, I've always been a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. It's painful at times. Halfway through the season, I'm ready to give up. Anybody else with me? Right. It is hard to follow the Cowboys. And I've often said this to my friends. I've often said, do you think Jerry Jones sold his soul for three Super Bowls? Like, have you ever noticed that? Like, we got three Super Bowls in the 90s, but fast forward 30 years and we can't do anything anymore, right? And, and so I often think, did Jerry Jones trade his soul for three Super Bowls? So he got his reward now, right? And now he can't have his reward now, later. 
And I often think about that whenever I come to this, this passage. It's, it's, it's this trade-off, right? Are you pursuing to live the, in the indulgence of the flesh now? Or are you and I denying ourselves to gain that which is eternal? You, we can have our reward now, Jesus says, but forfeit eternity. Or we can forfeit it now for the cause of Christ, and we can enjoy eternity forever. It's the great paradox. The reward for the person choosing to be a disciple is eternal life. We are called to deny our sinful selves now so that we ultimately get to enjoy it with Jesus later. It's a temporary state, you see. And Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, this is what he reminds us of. Keep perspective, disciple. The journey is hard at times. The journey may be difficult. The calling that God places on our lives may be overwhelming and impossible, it seems. But look at what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. If we give up our lives now, we will know happiness like we can never imagine for all of eternity. Back to the basics of discipleship. Being a Christian is a call to discipleship. It is a repetition of words. We are to reject the old sinful self. We are to release our lives at whatever cost to follow Jesus. We are to develop a daily relationship by following him. And we know that we can hold on to an ultimate reward. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.